Wow, thank you, Lord. Oh, not only do I have the most handsome grandson, I have the most beautiful wife, and I'm blessed, very, very blessed. I remember hearing somebody once say, uh, do you love your wife because she's beautiful, or is she beautiful because you love her? And uh, it really, you know, sometimes somebody says something, and, you know, it just goes over your head, and you don't ever think of it, or it never comes back to you. But, but there are other things that people say that go in and they just lodge in there. They're like a seed of the Word of God that, or, or, or a concept of God, shall we say, because it wasn't the Word of God here, but it was a dynamic of God. It went into my heart and I began to realize on the day that I married Kate, she looked so beautiful when she came down the aisle that she literally took my breath away. I just, I, I just was standing there in complete shock. My, my heart was pounding out of my chest. I was just so beyond excited to think that this beautiful girl had said yes to marrying me and that we'd spend the rest of our lives together. And I'm just so glad, honey, you were so stunning and beautiful on that day. But you know, I can honestly say after 26 years, darling, you are more beautiful in my eyes today. You really are. You really are, and you're just, you're my golden girl in every way, and I just love you with all my heart, and it shocked the, it kind of shocked the living daylights out of me when I realized that Jess was pregnant, when Jess uh, and Aaron told us that they were pregnant and announced it to us, um, and my first thought was spontaneous joy, I was super excited, and, uh, and then, you know, I watched myself in the video that they had recorded secretly of our reactions and I'm like when I watched it I was full of joy and then when I watched it I'm like who's that old man in that video uh, I was just so like taken aback by that and then I was then my next thought was oh my goodness for the rest of my life I'm going to be going to bed with a grandma and then I realized wait a minute she's going to be going to bed with a grandpa but I can honestly say that being grandparents is without a shadow of doubt the greatest privilege and the greatest honor that, that Kate and I have ever had. We're just blown away. Forget any titles in this world. The best title that you could ever have, I'm convinced, is grandfather. Well, grandmother. And the good news is for those of you who are not married or have, you know, or have children that, are not yet, um, that have not yet had children, the good news is that you can be, you can carry that, that title of grandfather or grandmother to anybody that the Holy Spirit lays on your heart to, for you to begin to sow your life into. Because thankfully, it's not confined to the natural realm. It is very much a spiritual dynamic. And so there's not one of us in this room that can't, you know, go to glory having experienced what it feels like to be a grandparent. Even if you're not a grandparent in the natural, you sure can be a grandparent in the supernatural. Amen? Is everybody you pour your life into, if they turn around and pour their lives into somebody else with what you, what they've received from you, you just got promoted to grandparent. You just got promoted to grandparent. So... Wow, Aaron and Jess, I'm blessed to be your dad and blessed to be 
the grandfather of Jude. And also, I feel like I'm the grandfather of all the babies that were up here, actually. In fact, I've decided this whole grandfather thing is so good, I'm just going to get it as wide as possible. So, and, and I'm looking forward to when Quest has kids, and I'll be a granddaddy to, to, you, to him as well, to them as well. Abba. God's good, isn't he? He's so good. And I, I just think, okay, I want you to understand, we did not orchestrate this, okay? But there have been several prophetic things that have just happened. We have just gone over our nine-year uh, um, nine anniversary on the 21st, so that would have been Thursday of September. And... Uh, and so now we've gone into our 10th year, and it just happens that the first Sunday in the 10th year, we're dedicating 10 babies. How amazing is that? And to me, the number 10 means double grace, because five is well known as the number of grace. I don't know why. It could be to do with the Pentateuch, the law, and then, you know, somehow something in the New Testament. Maybe there's somebody who knows better than I know. Maybe it's Romans 5.5, 5, you know, I don't know. But somehow or other, five has become known to be the number of grace, okay? And so 10 is the number of double grace. And I believe that as a church family, the Holy Spirit has given us a powerful, prophetic, confidence-inspiring sign today that we as a church family are entering into a year of double blessing, a year of double grace, a year of double, double our love for each other, double our, uh, double our growth, double our finances, double the blessing, double prosperity, double ideas, double creativity, double, 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 double everything that's good in Jesus' name. Amen? Double the encounters with God. Double the friendship with God. Double the numbers of churches that we plant around the world. Kate and I, we've got to leave. As soon as this meeting's over, we're catching another airplane and heading off to this Last week, we were invited in Colombia to lead, uh, well, not to lead, but to be the guest speakers in another incredible missional uh, church planting movement called Mission South America. We've known them for a, a number of years, and in fact, the church that, that Kate and uh, Rochelle and the girls all ministered in the previous weekend, last weekend, at the women's conference, and then Kate preached on the Sunday. That church is led by Andrew and Kathy McMillan. They've been friends of ours for a long time. The church is 9,000 people strong. And it's a Holy Spirit-filled church. Miracles, people getting bungooed and whacked everywhere. And it's amazing. 9,000 people. So Kate was preaching to several thousand people last weekend. Well, they're part of a movement called Mission South America and uh, their apostolic leader is a lady called Marcy, and uh, interestingly, Marcy Macmillan, but spelled M-A-C rather than just M-C. And uh, Randy, and who's gone to be with Jesus five years ago, and Marcy, uh, the, Randy's wife, they started the ministry 47 years ago in Colombia. And Randy was American, 
and when he was 21 years old, felt called of God after university he graduated, despite coming from a well-to-do family on the East Coast, he just said goodbye to all of that, and he went off to Colombia when Colombia was being run by the drug cartels. And, and foreigners were being kidnapped left, right, and center. He just left and went with his, with his wife, who, uh, and, and they just have just done an incredible job. Well, it was at a privilege that they invited Kate and I, uh, well, actually, Marcy and the apostolic team invited Kate and I last week to go and speak. And we preached six times in two days uh, to all of their 270 pastors and leaders from all over South America. Normally, I don't really tell you a lot about what we do, uh, but I just felt today to tell you. And, um, and we had the most off-the-chain time. God did amazing miracles, uh, phenomenal signs and wonders. They, we left them all completely flattened and blasted all over the floor. And, um, and we got home Friday night at 11 o'clock. And today we're leaving to go and lead. This time we are leading our own pastors and leaders advance for Catch the Fire World. 34 churches we have now, folks, since we planted this church. This was the first. This was the first. And by the grace of God, and I say the grace of God because it's the grace of God that's at work in each of our lives in this room. And the grace of God takes the little that we have and blows it into the big that God has. Amen? And, uh, and so we're just beginning. You know, here we are celebrating nine years. This was the first planted church. And the people that planted this church came from Toronto with a dream in their hearts to plant a church planting church. And here we are, nine years on. Look at what God's done. Look at this building that he's given us to keep us out of the elements. This, and not just that, but a building that God gave somebody a lifetime vision for and they put all of their experience and all of their anointing and all of their giftedness and all of their calling into the construction and the dedication and the stewardship of this building until they put it into our hands. And, it, and it's so much so that Joe Cole was such a precise builder, okay, that when God downloaded the blueprints for this building, and remember, the building's not the church. We're the church. But this building is so, is so carefully stewarded that even the doorway faces east. Because in Ezekiel, the Spirit of the Lord comes in from the, from the east. Under this platform, the calls put, put buckets full of soil from various revivals from around the world. Such was the detail that went into this building that God has blessed Catch the Fire Raleigh Durham with to be a center of worship for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the cities of Raleigh Durham, Chapel Hill and the surrounding area for revival to come and for all of our sakes individually, so we could have the best time every time we gather, no matter what we're doing. Our kids get amazing children's ministry. We get an amazing hall, and we just give you all the glory, God. We thank you with all of our hearts. You're such a good, good father, and it's our passion to make your son Jesus famous and to give him the nations, oh, the reward of his suffering. 
the nations as his inheritance through us, Father. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we ask you that you baptize us this year in the double blessing. That you baptize us with your glory. That you baptize us with your love. And that you baptize us with your power. In Jesus' name, let your grace smother us. In Jesus' name, Abba. I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus, especially you, Susie. Turn with me to the book of Exodus. She's one of my favorites. Roland Baker said, I told Susie, I said, Susie, every Sunday I want you right up at the front here. You know why? Because she's contagious. Because she's on fire. And, and I don't want her to stand out because all of you are more on fire than she is right now. Imagine what this place would look like if every one of us expressed the, the radical joy of the kingdom that's within the Trinity, that's within us. We're just so American now, you know. You know, you know how I know it's because we're American? Shall I tell you? I feel qualified because I've been to 76-something nations now. I'll leave that with you to figure it out. Ezekiel chapter 3. Uh, Ezekiel. Exodus chapter 3. Sorry. I want to talk about a multi-generational God. The title of my sermon is God, the multi-generational God. Verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. It was in the desert while he was looking after sheep. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. You know, like bushes normally talk. And said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near at this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Why did he tell him to take his sandals off his feet? I believe it's because God, from the very, in that moment, was giving him a prophetic sign that his desire was one day to be one with his people. And he didn't want any sandal, any rubber, well, it wouldn't be rubber, but any leather or anything else between his foot that was made of earth and the soil or the earth that God said is holy because of my presence. It was the first sign that God wanted skin on skin. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father. Well, Moses had a dad just like you do. His name was Amram. His mom was Jochebed, and uh, Moses was raised not by Amram and Jochebed. Moses was raised by Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter. But God is reminding him of his true identity. 
because Moses had fled because he had murdered somebody and he heard that Pharaoh was going to kill him. Not the Pharaoh who he grew up with, uh, sorry, not the Pharaoh that was the dad that he grew up under, but the Pharaoh that was the son that was his brother. And when he heard that he was going to kill him, he fled. In fact, he fled so far for 40 years, he had said, I'm not Egyptian, I'm not Israeli, I'm nothing. I'm alone. That's my guess. And God has to call him twice. Moses, Moses! Because he was running so far from his calling. And you know what? There are many people around you and I that live with us. They're at work. They might be growing up in Pharaoh's household, Pharaoh being a type of Satan. They might be growing up in the dominion of darkness, a type of Egypt. But they were not born for that purpose. They were born to be Israelites, so to speak. Not that I'm uh, espousing replacement theology here. I don't believe that the church is the new Israel per se in exchange of the current Israel. I believe that we're grafted in together. That's very important, everybody, okay? But I want you to understand that Israel is a type. Israel is a type for the church that is Jewish in Christ Jesus and Gentile, like us in Christ Jesus, or like some of us. Not everybody in here is Gentile. Some of you are Jewish. But I want you to see that God raised, uh, sorry, God was reminding Moses in this moment of his true identity and his true calling. I'm the God of your father, Amram. And just in case you're wondering which father I'm speaking of, Pharaoh or Amram, he says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Everybody say, woohoo! Come on, I'm excited. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And God gives him a download of his purpose for him, and he commissions him, and he, and he empowers him, and uh, the rest is history. Moses reluctantly uh, ends up being the deliverer of Israel from Egypt, from slavery. But I want you to notice, God does not say, I'm the God of your father. He says, I'm the God of your father, but I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob. Because God is the God of multi-generations. God wants to ridiculously and outrageously bless you, but it's not just for you. It's so that all of those that are on the inside of you will be blessed. And the, the Lord showed me, reminded me this week while I was in Colombia, he spoke to me and said, remember, Duncan, what I've taught you about the multi-generations and the God of when I reveal myself and when I reveal myself to Abraham, I revealed myself as the God of four generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Amram. And you and I think that we gave our lives to Jesus for ourselves. No. Look at Jude. Look at little Jude. I cannot count back how many generations back 
of godly Christians, followers of Jesus, there are in Jude's lineage on my line. There's every single one of my ancestors as far back as we can possibly look up in all the records back in England, okay? Every one of our ancestors walked with Jesus. I'm saying that to the glory of God, not boasting. How could I boast? I didn't do anything to help that. I'm telling you that so that you can be the start of a brand new generation and a brand new lineage. Because on the inside of you are multitudes of glorious saints that are on the inside of each of us in this room. You know, um, I just, I, I have so little time this morning. I, I've got so many things whirring around in my heart, I'm going to preach this message a little more fuller at some point in the future. I just know it. I can feel it. Because there's more to download yet. But in Exodus chapter 34, the same God who appeared to Moses in a burning bush appeared to Moses now this time with a burning mountain. How many of you know that God always upgrades your experiences? Double, exactly. First you get a burning bush and then if you obey him and you go through all the tribulations that's involved in obeying him and, and you love him, he gives you a burning mountain. Shikabanga. And on that mountain, Moses said to the Lord, Lord, please do not send us up from here out of this desert with an angel. We will not go up from here unless you go with us. It's lovely that you told me that you're going to send us up with an angel. But an angel just not going to cut it for me. Because I am not a guy. I'm not a man that wants to worship angels. I'm not a man that wants to be friends with angels alone. I want to be a man who's friends with the living God. And unless you go up with us, don't send us up from here. Folks, what's your prayer on the inside of your heart? Like truly, how much do you really love God? Like is there a burning, pulsating cry in your heart that says, God, I won't let you go because I can't do a thing without you. I can't do anything without you. Lord, I want your presence. Moses said, God, give us your presence. And, and, and God says, my presence will go with you. You, you, you've wrecked my heart, Moses. I was going to be an angel, but now that you've told me that, plans have changed. Plans have changed, heaven. Everything's changed. Actually, it hasn't changed. I just didn't show you my true secrets at the beginning. I always wanted it to be this way. I just needed to know if Moses loved me enough to move my heart to bring my full plan of love to action. And God did it, didn't he? He said, I'll go with you. Well, you'd have thought that that was enough for Moses, but no, not for Moses. You see, Moses was a man, even though he had the same flesh and blood that we have, that was not satisfied until God gave him the maximum possible experiences with God that, he could, that a human could have. He just did not let up. He's like, okay, God, that's amazing. I thank you that your presence will go with us. But Lord, now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Is there anyone in this room that is crying out in the secret place to God, saying, God, I want your presence, and not just your presence. Please, show me your glory. And you know, you know, we actually have an advantage over Moses, because Moses, for Moses to have the glory of God, it was on the outside of him. But you and I, we have the glory of God on the inside of us in Christ Jesus. Amen?
And what does God say to him? He says, I'm, there's a place beside me where you can stand upon the rock. And I will open up a cleft in the rock and I will place you in the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand as my glory passes by. And you will see my back, though my face you cannot see. By the way, I believe that that part he was speaking to the rock. And we know that the rock was Christ because it tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that that rock that followed them was Jesus, that they drank from in the wilderness. And so I believe that this is the Father literally speaking to the Son saying, there's a place where they can stand beside me and I will open up a cleft in the rock, my Son. I will open him up on the cross and I will place them into my Son. And I will cover them with my hand in that moment when I pass by, in that moment when the rock will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And my face, you will only see my back, son. My face will be hidden from you in that moment. Though you've seen my face for eternity, in that moment, my face will be hidden from you while you're on the cross, while you've become the sin of the world because of your love for them and because of my love for them. And you will only see my back. You will not see my face for a moment so that they will never see my back and will face and will see me face to face for eternity. Shandaraba. And the Bible says that, now that verse 5 of 34, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, that means patient beyond imagination, and abounding in goodness and truth. Wow, come on everybody, how good is our God? Listen to this, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Keeping mercy for thousands, for a thousand generations of those who love him. I was lying in bed in Colombia and I, I was asking the Lord a thousand generations and I quickly did a bit of math in my heart. If a generation is 25 years, then a thousand generation is what? 25,000 years. Evidently, we still got a ways to go. Despite the fact that yesterday, the sun, the moon, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and Mercury, and all the nine other stars of Leo all lined up so that Leo was above Virgo. Leo the lion above Virgo the virgin, and Jupiter was in her womb. And if you look at Revelation 12, verse 1, it says, I saw a great sign in heaven, the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet, with 12 stars around her head. <laughs> and she was pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing. That was yesterday. And by the way, by the way, the computer... By computer uh, deduction, okay, a computer analysis, running the sequence of yesterday 
and the planets and the stars running backwards, because computer models can do that now, running backwards, all of those stars and planets have not lined up since the day that Jesus was born. Yeah. And then I told my brother, Russ, who's Murray and I's middle brother, I said, Murray, I mean, I said, Russ, Russ, uh, it happened. Uh, this was today, right? Yesterday, I'm speaking to him yesterday. I said, it's happened today on your 47th birthday because it was his 47th birthday. And by the way, yesterday was also the first day in the new Jewish calendar right after Rosh Hashanah, which I think was 5,778. 5, Grace, perfection, perfection, beyond perfection. Come on, everybody, wake up. Hello. Jesus is on the move. Abba, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity uh, of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And then he said, if I've now found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, so among us, even... Let, let, let the Lord my God, I pray, go among us, even though we're a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Oh, shakaraba. I've heard that planes don't wait for you. And my plane is leaving at 12.55. And apparently you need about an hour for check-in. But that's all right. We're executive platinum. We'll just push it a little. Okay. I want you to turn to Psalm 78. This was amazing. Danny and, and, uh, and Carrie were leading the pre-service prayer, uh, which um, was amazing this morning. And, they, and, and, and I, as I walked in with all of this God, the God of multi-generations on the inside of me, okay, and thinking about the fact that the Lord spoke to me again and reminded me, the, the quality of your parenthood is not seen in your children. The quality of your parent alone, the quality of your parenthood is seen in their children. You don't know whether a man or a woman is a good man or a good woman until you can measure it in their grandchildren. You see, because anybody can raise a child, but it takes an anointed person to raise a parent. And God has not called you, all of you that have these little children, God, that, that we've just dedicated on this beginning, the first Sunday of the 10th year, God has not given you your children for you to raise them as children. He's given you to raise them to be mighty men and women of God. And beyond that, to raise them to be mums and dads. Mums and dads. Mums and dads, everybody. He's given them to you to raise them to be mums and dads. Godly mums and dads. And, like I said, if you don't have earthly children, natural children, 
Pin your ears and listen to me. I'm talking to you, all of us, because every one of us are called to make disciples. Every one of us are called to have children, spiritual children, and we have a choice. We're going to disciple them to have disciples, or we're going to disciple them to turn them into disciplers. You can have, this is the thing, okay, today, right now, in this age, everybody's looking for followers. How many followers do I have on Instagram? How many followers do I have on Twitter? How many followers do I have in Facebook? How many followers do I have here, there, and everywhere? God's not calling you to have followers. He's calling you to make disciples. And a disciple is someone who disciples others. And if you're discipling your followers on Facebook, great, well done, congratulations. But if you're just trying to gather more followers so that you are the most liked individual in the world. I hate to say this to you, but you are missing your calling. Because your calling is not to have followers, not to be liked. In fact, sometimes you have to be unliked to be a true father or a true mother. And God is the God of multi-generation. And sometimes you have to be willing for people to unlike you so that you can like Jesus. And definitely for you to be liked by Jesus. Well, he does like you, but you get my drift, okay? All right, so here's the thing, everybody. God's the God of multi-generations. Don't forget it. The measure of your parenthood is measured in your grandchildren. Why? Because godly grandchildren are a statement that you were a godly parent. And you raised your children to be godly children raisers. Proverbs 22, verse 6, well known. Train a child in the way that it should go, and when it's old, it will not depart from it. Everybody remember that? The only thing that we forget is it says train. And train involves discipline. But it's not just discipline. And certainly don't muddle up the word discipline with chastisement. You see, because true discipline is an entire process that is so much more than a punishment. And a lot of parents make the mistake of punishing their children for what they've done wrong instead of training them into what they should do right. And so give yourself, whether in the natural or in the spiritual, give yourself to training others. Training others. You know, our children, I'm so grateful for their mother because I was the benevolent father. I would just, you know, I mean, they just couldn't put a foot wrong in, 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 in me. I'm like, honey, they're, 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 they're going off to school. We, you need to make their sandwiches. I mean, we need to make their sandwiches. Well, it didn't take very long. How old were you when you had to make your own sandwiches? Nine. <laughs> Nine years old and they made their own sandwiches. Do you know that some of their friends, when they got into grade 12 as 18-year-olds, their mothers were still making their sandwiches? Apparently, when they left home and went to university, they were very, very glad for the cafeteria. And the day they left university and all food was no longer prepared for them on the everlasting buffet, they wept for weeks and weeks because they had no idea how to cook for themselves. Come on, train a child in the way that they should go. And they will not depart from it. And that means putting in them a passion. A passion to be in a godly way 
independent of their parents. But what makes it godly? The spirit of independence will never take them over. Why? Because they have a passion to take and have their own dependence who they turn into independence. Amen? And that keeps you accountable and stops you going off and being a lone wolf doing your own thing the way you fancy doing it because you're so incredibly amazing. Let's stand, everybody. I want to read Psalm 78 over you. On the anniversary of our ninth year and going into our tenth year. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Psalm 71, verse 1. Danny read this in the, in the pre-service prayer and he had no clue what I was going to preach on. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. The generations to come have not been born, everybody. And yet he's saying, we're going to tell them today what's coming. We're going to prophesy today. And as we prophesy, as my friend um, Olympia said to me, she gave me a word in the middle of the the floor. She didn't know what I was going to speak either, but she said, Duncan, pastor, I believe that as you preach this morning, resurrection is going to come in the wombs, spiritual wombs, and live and natural wombs of everyone in this room. And we, God, as you preach, is going to be prophesying to the future coming generations that are inside their wombs, spiritual and natural generations that are on the inside of us. And they're going to start to prophesy, and resurrection life will come to the seeds of God. Amen. And, and I told, the, I told the, uh, the worship leaders, I said to all the worship leaders, guys, Listen, we're going to pray for you this morning, but don't go up there with the mentality that it's about you. Not that they would, but don't go up there thinking that this moment is about me getting up and maybe using the keyboard or my guitar or drums. No, I want you to go up with a new mentality. I'm going up onto my drum kit with at least three future drummers in Catch the Fire in my womb. And I'm going to drum with at least three, so that in the next five years, I give birth to three incredible drummers. And they might only be 15 years old right now. They might only be five years old right now. But my goodness, I'm going to drum with their passion and their future in my heart. Why? Because he's the God of multi-generations. And if every one of us could get a glimpse of this, we'd realize that this room is filled with 10,000 people and the rest. And it says, he established, okay, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he's done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make those testimonies the good things of God make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them. The children who will be born, that they may arise and declare to them, to their children, that they may set their hope in God and never forget the works of God. But keep his commandments and may, so that they would never be 
like their fathers that went before them, their stubborn, rebellious generation fathers that went before them. For those of you that are in this room that you are first generation Christians, tell the works, the good works of God to the next generation and the generation after. Why? So that they do not live like your fathers lived in Jesus' name. A generation who did not set their heart right and whose spirit was not faithful to God. I'm going to ask Jonathan, pastor, if you could come up here and finish and close out this meeting. And I'm going to uh, go catch my airplane. God bless you, everybody.